I want to go back to getting discovered. Yeah. I want you to know that exposure without action is entertainment. And that's fine, right? Exposure without action is entertainment. Yes. But exposure with action, that's that's discovery. Yes. That allows you, the audience, to have something tangible and non-tangible that allows them to take action. And most likely that action, the number one action that I would certainly recommend you lead them with is sharing. Welcome to Too Legitimate to Quit, instantly actionable small business strategies with a pop culture spin. I am your host, Annie P. Ruggles, and my guest today is the absolutely fabulous Vinny Potestivo. Vinny Potestivo is an Emmy award-winning brand media advisor, personal brand strategist, and content coach. He is also the creator of I Have a Podcast, curator of indie podcast platform, IHaveAPodcast.com, and the host of I Have a Podcast on TV. His passion to inspire talent opportunities into impact has driven Vinny and his team at VPE Talent to become well-trusted connectors who sell, develop, produce, launch, and distribute while amplifying some of the most impactful original series and talent brands in modern pop culture. As a television network talent executive at MTV Networks from 1998 to 2007, he pioneered the way talent and artists claim control of their narrative by making them hosts, stars, and even producers of their own hit series. Having launched some of the most successful talent brands in modern pop culture, Vinny continues to develop talent and talent-led projects and is an active member of the National Academy of Television Arts and Sciences. Y'all, did I mention he has an Emmy? Vinny, I could have kept you in pre-chat this whole time because you have the most riveting backstory that makes my elder millennial heart just die. Uh, But I thought instead (laughs) of being selfish, I should bring you on, actually hit record, not just keep you all to myself and ask you, what do small business owners need to focus on this week? Oh, I love that. Oh my gosh. I'm smiling ear to ear. They, first off, to answer your question, they should be focused on on getting discovered, being more discoverable. And some of the things I'm going to talk about here are, are things we're responsible of, to do, some things we can be doing to make it easier to be discoverable, and then also other ways for more exposure. Oh my gosh. I think that some people get exposure and discovery. Those two words sort of like replace each other and there's a big difference and we'll talk about that in a bit. Yes. And I want to comment on your young on your younger self. So you, I feel like you I feel like when I was at MTV yeah. in the late 90s and early 2000s, oh. I swear if I had to think about the archetype of the viewer 
that I was creating content for the socially conscious viewer who wanted who wanted to see what it was like to be in other social groups but not have to be in other social groups and yes! take, take that vocabulary and experiences if I had imagine what that person looked like it would be you to, to the uh, to the T so I am so uh, excited to chat with you I'm so <laughs> excited that is like the best compliment and talk about MTV I get emo when I talk about MTV <laughs> I mean I'm 38 yep. and so I very much feel like I was born at the perfect time for MTV Yeah, in that like I still stand by the fact that 1996 might have been the best single thing for albums ever. I already told you I found out that Kurt Cobain died because Kurt Loder told me. Oh, yeah. And I stayed home from school. I was like, I can't, I can't do this. I you can't were afraid go. of 10 to the hour every hour for your entire team. I was afraid of 10 to the hour every hour. <laughs> I mean, seriously, I found out about Princess Diana on MTV. Yeah. Oh, which is today at point of recording, y'all. You'll know this by now, but yeah. you may not know this at point of recording. Queen Elizabeth II has passed away today. So... Interesting that we're talking about MTV, yeah. where I found out about Princess Diana when oh wow, we are here on the day of Queen Elizabeth. So happy trails, Queen Liz too. You were a complete badass. Mm. We will always remember those photos of you fixing up tanks during the blitzes. You <laughs> are a freaking badass, Liz. But like, I remember Lionel Richie music videos on MTV. I remember the first time I saw Black Hole Sun's music video oh, yeah. on MTV. Like, yeah. that was a life-changing music video. Yeah. Like, that was a brain blower. And then Kurt would come on and be like, doo, doo. I'd be like, oh God, who's dead? What's happening? Like, that's how I got, I mean, all of my Desert Storm world news mm -hmm. was MTV, right? And so I think that's so interesting because those VJs, especially on the news side of things, they were the voice of our generation. And then we got Daria. Like, it was yeah. a magical freaking time to be figuring out your taste in the world, right? Because it wasn't just your taste in music, which is such a huge gateway to all things and all identities. But more than that, it was like, I want to be a socially conscious person. Yeah. So let's, I mean, it was also the 90s. So everything back then was save the whales, save water, save the environment, right? And it had that fabulous, like, Portland crunched to an entire decade and it was a perfect time to freaking love MTV. And, and so I love that you had a hand in it because I directly benefited from that hand. Now, oh my gosh. as a huge catfish person, yeah. I could say that I'm still reaping the benefits of MTV. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, but MTV has changed into more unscripted content and less music, which is fine. But then there's still stuff like the VMAs, which we can learn lessons from. So I love that you, of all people, are talking about discoverability because if I could have picked, and, and oh my God, that compliment you gave me, because if I could have picked my life back then, I would have wanted to be discovered by MTV. Shit, I'm still waiting to be discovered by MTV and I'm 38 years old, but you're right. Yeah, but you want that call to come from Kurt Loder, you know. You, right, you, I want Kurt to call me up. But first off, though, if he's like, Annie, it's Kurt, I'm going to be like, who's dead? So maybe have him right way be like, Annie, give a heads up. No one's dead. Well, we'll have John Norris give you a yes. heads up that the call's coming in. So you're prepped. <laughs> and then. Yes, please. You know, that I would think be wonderful when you when you talk about experiencing sort of these these global uh, instances that you know, that we all experience as we think about how do we hear about news and where 
I think what MTV had back then, you know, yes, it was a TV network. Yes, it was a platform. Yes, it was a media channel. But there was a lot of community that happened on MTV. Yeah. And, and we kind of hung out on MTV as a way to be plugged into each other prior to the internet, prior to social media. You know, we could leave the television on and not have to be in the room to understand what was happening on TV. Yeah. And if you if you kind of really pull a scope back on what MTV did in, in, a ni- in the mid 90s, it was t- maybe 15 years old in, in the mid 90s. They, they just had a really big woke experience. They were no longer rock and roll Americana network. They had now opened up mm-hmm. to being all inclusive, all genre, all background. And they really took big strides at doing it. And in 95, UMTV Raps comes out. Yes. And then in, in 98, when I got to MTV, Ananda was already there. The shows that I started working on were like uh, the Tom Green show. I used to book, I oh think, get God. like audience, I get p- audience members and, and people in his skits for like the Tom Green show and like Blink-182 was going to have like a naked bike race in the, in the studio. And I had to get people to be you know, like the weird things that, you know, <laughs> that, that come your way. But I mean, MTV gave us the real world. I mean, that was a whole other thing is like, yeah, I learned about homophobia on MTV. Oh, sure. Well, you saw it, right? Like it was a word. It was a word until you saw the action and you saw it. I saw it and I was like, yeah, Ugh. I also saw like, I mean, the first bits of like sexual expression and 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 sexual freedom on MTV because I was like, oh, they don't seem like they're feeling totally ashamed about the fact that, you know, they hooked up yesterday and now she's not interested. Like, I saw that on yeah. MTV. I saw all kinds. And then, yeah, like the social issues and the wars and the deaths and the everything. But you're right. Like, it was definitely a community builder. But within those communities, you just said Ananda, like, yeah. it's been 20 years. Her face is screwed into my head. Yeah. I could draw a sketch of her right now and I can't even draw, <laughs> right? Like, but, but she's ingrained. And so that's why this idea of discoverability is so important. But I think there's something so interesting in that idea of like, not only did MTV give us community, not only did MTV give us a lot of entertainment, there are people, there are personalities that landed on the scene after being discovered mm-hmm. by MTV that have still never left us. Yeah. Right? I, I miss Kurt when there's news. Yeah. It, it, it's funny to talk about MTV and then and with this theme of discovery, I didn't think about it. But MTV, the whole premise of MTV was a discovery network. It was to discover talent, mm-hmm. to explore the music, the the youth culture, to, for, for youth culture to discover new opportunity. Even you mentioned the right. VMAs. The VMAs is all about discovering. Yes. You know, and then what, what MTV discovered was two things, you know. Um, well, I'll say this. They, they took storytelling and they discovered the music video format. They said, if we give you, if we give artists who can create beautiful three, four, five minute songs mm-hmm. creatively, if we gave them some money, could they create us videos that are equally as beautiful? And then... The artists proved that they could. And MTV used to pay a stipend to the labels and the labels would give us the music videos. For a long time, MTV was the only music video network. So MTV had no problem shelling out the cash for videos. But then as more and more platforms came, I was I was at MTV from 1998 to 2007. I remember AOL Music getting like 
video premieres and I was like, wait, AOL Music got a video premiere? They're like, AOL Music? Yeah, I thought we just automatically get it. Isn't that how it works? And Napster came in and I saw the whole, you know, all, all of that sort of, oh, <laughs> the hodgepodge of it all. But MTV, MTV gave artists four minutes to tell a story and they radicalized that. They put social, move, social action into movement, into storytelling, mm-hmm. into the vernacular of the public press, the, the private societies, communities. You know, they gave us, they gave us ways to connect outside of our own audience. And then what MTV did was take that storytelling mechanism of four-minute music videos and turn it into 30-minute reality TV episodes. And they did it with the first format, obviously, the real world. And to be really honest, the way that ultimately we pitched the show to, to Sharon Osbourne was the real world for the with the Osbournes. And yep. then Jessica got 30 minutes and, and Ashton Kusher got his 30 minutes and yep. like, Nick Cannon got his 30 minutes and TJ Lavin got his 30 and, and then And now he's got 11 kids. So, <laughs> you know. Wait, by the time of this episode, I think it might be. <laughs> we know that MTV was responsible for at least all 11 children of Nick Cannon, right? There we go. Yeah, we, we just wanted a uh, production insurance for a while and out just to make sure we had <laughs> enough talent. So he's keep that show up. He's so he's such a wonderful guy, and I learned I yeah. learned so much from him. But but that's what they did is they created space for storytelling, right? They created space, and those were the first people that we gave the cameras to when I was there. When I left in 07, do you know what MTV did when I left in 07? They didn't give the cameras to the celebrity talent and creative adjacent talent. They gave it to the audience. Oh. And in light of that, I think social media boomed. They gave it to the kids of Laguna Beach, to the Jersey Shore kids, mm-hmm. to the teen moms. Whereas when I was at MTV, I was focused on sort of, yeah. uh, I was still bringing in the culture of music and that promise of it without, without letting go. What MTV did was lean into the audience. So yep. two very different sort of school uh, school of thoughts. But. but even so, that showed you that anyone could be discovered. That's the thing. That's it. Anyone could be on the real world. Anyone yeah. could be. I mean, anyone could be on Teen Mom. <laughs> uh, <laughs> anyone. But, but, you know. A couple of prerequisites on that one. The same as Housewives. I had a couple of, right. of women moved to the North Jersey. And I was like, oh, well, you have to really, like, you know, those shows you really need to know the women to get to get in so it's hard to right. you know but anyway we'll talk but, about but the idea of like real world including the real world but like everyday stories yeah. and everyday people yeah are hot messes that are entertaining but also there's there's a lot to learn from there too like That's what it there was. can be good happy stories but damn is it fun to watch that people are just <laughs> as trashy and messy as you well, well right? we didn't we didn't try to do um father knows best with the osbournes <laughs> You know, we, we didn't we didn't try to do like happily ever after with newlyweds. <laughs> no, you know? what we did try to do is like you know America's funniest home video on mm-hmm. on 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 punk. Something happened during the pilot oh my God. that prohibited us from going in that direction. So we had to tweak the creative, and then ultimately the creative became Ashton kind of playing larger than life, not cinematically larger than life right but like suspension of disbelief larger like how could you believe a kangaroo was stuck in a porta potty that you would go in it and then it was (laughs) like how did you think any of that you know what i mean like to the preposterousness of it all there he was playing it was a social experiment we were we were playing more with Mm -hmm. how much does the audience believe how much does the celebrity believe how much can we get away with it i mean sometimes that social experiment was brutal like i I desperately remember in my soul the episode of punked 
where Justin yeah. Timberlake thought his dogs got taken. Well, his house, his house was his, being, no, 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 no. But here's the thing: his house got repoed. I know you were there, right? Okay, so the the ultimate. Okay, Justin's holding it together. I know that you were there, and this is hilarious because I'm explaining to you <laughs> what I saw because this was horrifying. We all know it's fake. Justin doesn't know it's fake. They show up. The repo trucks are like, one of them is probably you. Like, taking his furniture out of his house. It's Dax Shepard, by the way. Blame Dax Shepard. Oh, my God. <laughs> Let's not forget oh where God. Dax got his cable uh, start, his TV start, by the way. <laughs> and so Justin's like, wait, wait, wait. Okay, there's probably a mistake. There's probably a mistake. And, like, I'm Team Britney, so Justin's not my favorite. But mm-hmm. this was still really cruel. But he's freaked. He's like, okay, I'm not going to freak. Like, everything's going to be fine. It's just a miscommunication. It's cool. So he's, like, calling his manage- manager and calling his mom or whatever. And then finally, he, like, sits on the curb because he can't get through to anybody because his team has been tipped off that he's about to be punked. So no one's answering. So he sits down and he goes, he calls for his dogs and his dogs don't come. And he calls for his dogs and his dogs don't come. And so he looks at somebody goes, where are my dogs? And I think whoever on the team just goes, yeah, we took the dogs. And he starts sobbing like sobbing and then Ashton runs out and he's like Justin baby Justin it's a joke it's a joke Justin it's a joke it's cool like too far sorry too far it's a joke it's a joke I thought we were about to witness the murder of Ashton Kusher like (laughs) Justin went from depressed to enraged in like five seconds Mm. but but that's because it was real that's how you know like not all of it's real but that was fucking real so I have three reactions. One is, yeah, Ashton wouldn't let us do it. We couldn't do something if he if we thought they were tipped off. It wouldn't be fun. He didn't want to do it. Absolutely yeah. not. So there's a lot of integrity in that, too. Um, I don't believe he actually cried in the episode because we made a creative decision not really? to include crying. But you may have seen something that I have seen also. I don't know how to say this. <laughs> um, so, but because, you know, if, if MTV made Justin cry, that would make a lot of his fans maybe really mad at us so we didn't quite show everything that you you just described but i saw what you saw so we have to talk about this offline because i'm very curious about that (laughs) and then also so much so that um on that same episode they punked they punked mandy Moore, and and i didn't know so when the show was in development it was a different show and something different was going to happen and ultimately it became what you all saw. I didn't know that. So I didn't realize that when there was, I knew that Mandy was doing something with MTV and, and I was the person that worked closely on her schedule. If I had caught wind, I would have told her in a heartbeat. I told Mandy every single thing, anything I knew <laughs> ever. They didn't tell me when she won a movie award. They wouldn't tell me. They wouldn't tell me like, oh, they're so mean to me. I'm like, what? <laughs> like, well, we didn't want you to tell her. I'm like, well, of course I'm going to tell her. She's got to know. She's like, going to tell her. She's going to win. Come on. By the way, you're eight, you said 86, I think 84, 85, 84. 86. Mm-hmm. So my sister also was born 84. Mandy is born 84. My man that I've been dating for 11 years, born 84. There was something about, <laughs> about having a brother. And, and my brother and sister are 84. They were born 84, 85. I, I knew how to create stories and entertain my brother and sister better than myself, mostly because of how I grew up and what my job mm-hmm. was around the house. I, I felt so to hear you at the top of this, I can give him email about it. But to hear you say like what you did gave me like tools to be able to I, I yes. really I really hear that and connect with that and was Yay. was aware at a certain point at, at how much how much authority MTV had over youth culture. And that's when I started leaning into, into working with pristine talent that were, you know, I don't mean to be a jerk, but like there was a couple of reasons why I left MTV. When the Ashley Simpson show didn't got canceled because of the SNL debacle and her, her live thing, 
I tried to get the Katy Perry show approved and greenlit, but MTV told me Katy Perry would never be a star. When Benji and Joel <laughs> from Good Charlotte, yeah, right. She's Katy thinks me all the time, by the way. When Benji and Joel from Good Charlotte had to leave All Things Rock, I tried to find the next rock host. I tried to hire Pete Wentz, and they were like, "Pete Wentz, he's not even like the lead singer of the band." Ben, like, what are you? you maybe you don't. Oh, yeah, maybe you on. don't got it. They're like, but we have a hit show for you. It's called Tila Tequila, and I'm like, Whoa. Wait, hold on. What? What? I put Mandy Moore in her first movie. By the way, before reality TV, when it was just like television and MTV films, I got to put like Beyonce in her first film. I got to cast Come her. Come on. Not cast her, but audition. I got to be in the audition when she. Well, uh, but look at Mandy. Mandy's like Mandy. a humongous TV star, movie star, everything star. Well, Mandy. She, she has Ma- transcended. Yeah. Well, Mandy, Mandy, Ashton, Nick, even especially TJ. Um. Uh, uh. Uh. The Osborne. They fight for my rights to marry who I want to be able to marry and have the family. That I mean, they they show up in places in my life that were important, and that's part of the reason why I fought for 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 TJ to be be the host of of the cha- of the challenge when it was time to cast that. There was one other athlete that that Buna Murray, the production company, wanted, and, mm-hmm. I, and I knew that TJ was the one because. We had had a moment years earlier where he, he kind of was like, are you gay? He's like, you got to be my wingman. I'm, he's like, I, I, and it was the coolest like athlete moment where like we talked about everything we shouldn't have. And now it would be so taboo, but it was, there was so much respect and love and, and, and curiosity in that conversation that I felt if an athlete like this respects me in my presence, I can only imagine how he would represent me outside of the room. And and I think mm-hmm. the testament is that TJ kept that spot 20, 20 years later, 30, 30 seasons later of the challenge. You know, he's the face of the show that pushes the youth culture to their emotional and their physical challenge, the limits. And that's that's cool to know I had a hand in, in, in creating Hell that. And yes. that it stuck. And that it stuck. But think of it this way. Like, so many people that listen to this show voluntarily involuntarily we all understand that platform presence and and exposure to use yeah. the other word you used before is a critical part of our work even this show yeah. if no one knows about the show no one can listen to this show no one learns about me no one learns about my guests it it kind of goes nowhere right and and so i think it's so interesting that you bring the point because one of the things that people bring up to me all the time is i have a platform but i don't want to get political or i have a platform and i don't know how to represent people or like me like i am a white woman how do i bring up topics that are important without seeming like i'm trying to be some kind of white savior or a know-it-all like how do I broach these things but but rather than the how I just want to point out the fact that you're saying that like these people that you had relationships with how they showed up mattered and how they showed up for you and how they showed up on tv was consistent oh right yeah. and so and they were brave and they were bold and they were unique and they were themselves and they were authentic before authenticity was a buzzword. Mm-hmm. But they had to navigate the same stuff too. They had to be like, wait, hold on. Are you gay? Can I ask yeah. you some questions that are yeah. too taboo? Like, right. They had to show up in that way. And and I think that is such an important lesson for all of us trying to figure it out is I can't tell anybody how to figure their politics out or their life out or any of that. That's not my place. But what I can say is you doing the work of figuring out how you're going to figure that out 
matters and impacts people. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's I love that you brought that there, by the way. By the way, I just want to point out that, you know, uh, not wanting to be political is being political. Yes, not exactly. talking about politics is something, you know, completely completely different. Um, I worked, exactly. I worked hard to acknowledge time because I think time is a bandit. <laughs> it gives too much. It takes too little or it, it mm-hmm. takes too little. It gives too much. Either way, it's never right. It seems like I'm always trying to find like al dente. You know, I want that perfect, that perfect, perfect mm-hmm. consistency. So I, I took my 12 months of the year and, and I thought hard about like 12 words, like to be impeccable in my speech. I thought about 12 words that I would want to be more proficient in, to be more exemplary of, and to learn, to update myself on. And, and by having these 12 words, every single month is a different word. This, this month is cultivation. Last month was excellence. So last month, in the month of excellence, I liked sharing how to win awards because people don't know how to win awards. And when you're excellent, there's no, there is nothing wrong with asking for a team award for something you most likely con- created with more than just one person, whether it was a designer or a copywriter or someone you shared some ideas with or so, so helping them win awards, right? But cu- cultivation is the, is my word now, but just have, having a specific word every month allows me to live my sort of SEO strategy, to live my yeah. content strategy and my output strategy. So I'm not worried about how am I going to find ways to talk about cultivation? I'm just studying it. So it's on my mind. So it's, so if we go out for drinks with my friends, that's what I'm talking about. When I see my mom yeah. and my brothers and sisters, I'm talking about cultivation and cultivating. Um, mm-hmm. and, and, and there are three other words that I use globally all year round, inspire, impact, and ignite. Those are words I love being associated mm-hmm. with in, on mm-hmm. Google and, and, and found. And I like being discovered next to those words. So I just make sure I use them in my actions, in my questions, in my answers, in my thoughts. And then I don't have to worry about how do I take this headline and make it more SEO friendly for me? Because I'm just like living my, I'm just living my SEO life. (laughs) It really helps with clarity. That is the most beautiful depiction of (laughs) SEO I have ever heard. Like that is (laughs) chef's kiss gorgeous in that we all get hung up and like, Oh, are these high performing keywords? Are these low performing keywords? And that's important. I'm not talking SEO, but for people that are getting stuck or people that are hesitant to put yourself out there, I want them to adopt your method, which you said. And I was like, oh, my God, I'm going to cry about SEO right now. I love being discovered next to these words. Yeah. So my question to the audience is, what words do yeah. you want to be? I mean, I'm, yes. I'm waiting for the Henson Foundation to sue me because the word I want to be discovered next to is Muppet. And that's <laughs> going to bite me in the ass eventually. But until I'm a strategy Muppet, that's <laughs> me, baby. I like right? it. But but I also want to be next to the word strategy. And I also want to be next to, I don't know, all kinds of stuff. So I love yeah. that definition. What terms, what words do you want to be, not want to be, do you love to be discovered next to? You know, discovering in the 1950s looked like being at the right place at the right time and a casting director saw you and had a film and looking at connecting to our producer, seeing I'm going to make it famous, seeing I know everybody in Hollywood and I'm a gateway in. Instagram, social media changed that, right? So now, now those very same connectors, casting directors like my previous self and my colleagues are now on those platforms looking for people. Those platforms are the right place we are the right time. And when that happens, we're able to make that connection, right? But these are the things that I talk about helping us be more discoverable. These are the breadcrumbs that really lead 
to being found in the places where you want to be found. And you have a, you have a say in how you want to be found. Michael Buble launched his whole career coming out on a Christmas out on a Christmas special. Mm-hmm. Everyone will say it was a Christmas special that launched his, he knew it. That's why he did it. Mm-hmm. He thought, Hey, wouldn't that be great if I was known as the voice for all family, all Christmas. And then they buy my rest of the music all throughout the year but this is the thing that I can really have ownership of. And look at what he does. I mean, Mariah is currently trying to trademark Queen of Christmas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're seeing that in, in real life action. You're seeing the, the retroactive mm-hmm. version of being like, oh, that's, oh, wait, that's the power of talent brand now versus then. That's what you're seeing Mariah do with all due respect. We should have already, she should have already been there. Right. <laughs> but those contracts didn't look like that back then. No. You know what I mean? But also like if Mariah wants to be the queen of Christmas, we're just going to let Mariah be the queen of Christmas. <laughs> let her be I mean, right come now. on. Yeah, imagine the let content. Her have it. Come on. <laughs> I mean, God, I'm now I'm just like going back through my MTV past and I'm like, I sang hero at my second grade talent show. Come on. Oh, wow. MTV was a big ass part of my That's life. That's so funny. I know. You said you said a music video earlier, and I I, ha- I have had uh Blind Melons No Rain in my head ever oh. since. It's like all I hear when I think of like my oh. first <laughs> MTV Epiphany. Oh my gosh. Although I like No Rain, but I'm not a fan of November Rain. I'll tell you that song. Matt, that song was like 11 minutes. Okay, that is a 12 minute music video. Great music video, though. The cake. Oh my God. I think it terrified an entire generation that like something bad was going to happen to your wedding cake. <laughs> I went to a wedding this weekend and the whole time I was like, what if someone crashes into the cake? And it's like, why would anyone crash into the cake? This is not a Guns N' Roses video. But maybe you were inspired to create like a, a reel or something that got you this close to dev- full on devastation, full on November rain devastation. <laughs> but that's what like branding can do when you allow your brand to be multi-sensory too because that's it we love this music maybe we discovered the music because of the video maybe we knew it already but like you know you take bittersweet symphony which is such an absolutely epic song yeah and then you do two through you do two things with it <laughs> number one you put it at the end of cruel intentions yeah yeah of course <laughs> and just devastate an entire generation that like now anytime we see a convertible we're like "Ooh, bittersweet symphony i live here in brooklyn i live right by the kaziusku i live i, I drive by that graveyard all the time <laughs> <laughs> well, tell the ghost of Ryan Phillippe that I say, hey, what's up? Yeah. Uh, sorry for the spoilers for Cruel Intentions, y'all. Um, but on the same point, they also, the I will never forget the Bittersweet Symphony music video because I thought yeah. it was the most badass, terrifying thing I could ever imagine because I am a highly empathic, move out of the way person. And the entire music video... He's just walking in a straight line. So focused. Unmoving, bumping into people, knocking them down, jumping over cars. <laughs> Little old ladies be damned. Doesn't matter. Just singular focus. And I remember being like, that is incredible because it changed the relationship that I had with the song. I was like, wow. this is a song yeah. about focus. I, it didn't occur to me. Cruel Intentions made it a song about grief. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you're absolutely right? right. Before that, I thought it was just a triumphant, beautiful string chorus of like, ooh, this is a song that makes me feel like heavy in my feels. <laughs> Cruel Intentions made it about grief. The music video made it about focus. Now it's about all of those things interchangeably. But we don't necessarily do that. Like, I am I can see you 
and your freaking Emmy behind you. I can see that. <laughs> but this is an audio only podcast. They can't see you. They can't see me. And so how am I maybe depriving them of a multi-sensory experience akin to a music video? Or if I am doing something that's online only, should I be taking it offline? If I'm doing something sensory, should I add more senses? Like, I, I, I really love this idea of using music videos as a way to be like, what layers of your brand aren't in place yet? Yeah. And, and where is there room for imagine for imagination and creativity, to be really honest, unbounded, mm -hmm. right? You, you kind of hit, you kind of led to something. And, and, and I talk about the future of podcasting often coming to television. I think that podcasting and narrow casting like social media mm -hmm. fit really well on the broadcasting distribution model of television. If you want to know what I mean by that, it's like we know what radio on television looks like. We all have channel maybe 1200 something music choice yep. and we know what radio on TV looks like and we know what music videos on TV look like. Now we know what music videos on YouTube and every place else look like when they're not, you know, on demand. Yep. Um, maybe if you were like Annie and I, you, you grew up with the TV guide scrolling oh, channel. But I remember the little, the little talking head things on the channel. They'd be like this week. Yeah. Like dinner and a movie. Yes. Yeah. There would be, Dave would be like, you know, the first time we just to get you to watch the TV guide back then. It's so funny to think of. But I think that, I think that podcasting, narrow casting, social casting fit in the broadcasting spectrum. And I think that we've seen hundreds of TV channels now be added in our lifetime so now we mm -hmm. you know in my lifetime it was mtv and fox news were like in cnn were like the two new yeah the three new networks and look where we are now we have oan and a bunch of other shit i remember being i worked at mtv and i went to grandma's house and i remember looking at her tv and there's a we were channel ch channel 20 she only had 25 channels on the tv so i remember being like oh how lucky i'm one out of 25 that's so cool that like right? i remember thinking oh barely legal 20 <laughs> <laughs> in new york that was our now when i try to find it i'm like oh people don't even you know i want to go back to getting discovered yeah i want you to know that exposure without action is entertainment and that's fine right exposure without action is entertainment yes but exposure with action that's that's discovery yes that allows you the audience to have something tangible and non-tangible that allows them to take action. And most likely that action, the number one action that I would certainly recommend you lead them with is sharing, right? Before they even call you, share your number. <laughs> Before they hire you, share the opportunity. Before they, sharing is the most valuable opportunity that you can give somebody, sharing. So being a guest on a, on a podcast and having a podcast uh, allows me the opportunity to say, well, if you'd like what you heard, then you can like listen to my podcast and I continue doing this. And Annie and I will continue to have more of a conversation. We're going to continue to make more content and, you know, say, but I'm giving them the option to connect with. But that's the action that they can take. Because it's deepening the connection. Otherwise, they just binge, right? And, well, they consume and there's nothing wrong with consuming because that was the act. That's the only action you kind of provided them with exposure without actions. It's consumption is entertainment, right? Mm -hmm. Exposure with action and the action being share and the share being share my story, share my contacts. That's networking. Mm -hmm. Share my resources, share my experiences, share my services, products, you know, giving people, giving people assets to share makes you inherently so much more discoverable. A lot of us are highly exposed. Mm -hmm. A lot of us have no problem with visibility. 
you know? And if we do, then we can talk about that in a separate conversation. Maybe I'll come back. I'll talk about visibility. But just let's just say you're, you're not in the beginning stages necessarily of your career. You're deep in it. You've got momentum and you're looking for ways, one, probably to stand out. I want to talk about discoverability with action. That's winning awards Mm -hmm. so that your name can be put on an award-winning list so that people looking for experts in your field find you. Mm -hmm. Also for the press release that your publicist puts out and make sure you target local news, maybe national news, industry news, and let them know of the wins, right? Also, my favorite part is turning anything that we do in real life to data. Mm. And IMDB is a great place right now, especially for podcasters. So if you have a podcast, oh, I'm about to blow your mind on this one. You know how you go to IMDB for your favorite TV shows, your favorite actors? Uh, Yeah. So IMDB also acknowledges that uh, podcasts are a viable intellectual property and the same exact way that television shows and films or on IMDb, you upload. No, actually, I'll send you. It's I have a free resource. It's called AudioLinked.com. I'll send it to you afterwards. But it's a, it's a walkthrough. You don't even have to pay for IMDb Pro to be able to do it. And you upload your your podcast to IMDb. It gives you executive producer credit. It gives you host credit. It gives you the ability to tag all of your guests. <laughs> Also include your production company, any awards that you've won, and an infinite amount of uploads of video and photo assets that you've created. Holy shit! And then it goes and tells Google everything. Ah! (laughs) Okay. It's the best trick I know. But that's freaking huge for me. I mean, like, I'm just taking this selfishly. I'm like, because because I have a pop culture podcast. Ah! Oh, yeah. Ah! Yeah. So how about that? How about get discovered in the pop culture guys in the pop culture world on IMDb? And now if people go to TRL, because that was a show they liked and they looked at talent executives, wherever yes. cast that show and they see my name, they click on my profile and they scroll down and they'll see your podcast that I recently appeared on. And, and you're able to now leverage my appearance on your podcast as a form of discovery. And that's a data point that happens on IMDb. So it's really, I'm it's really freaking big. out, you guys. The audience is, uh, the listeners are like, oh yeah, what a great thing. I should look into that. Meanwhile, I'm like, ah, yeah. ah, must it's do now. This is For, huge. I'm like weeping. If you, if you believe, if you believe the creator economy is coming yeah. or if you believe we are it's already, already in it. IMDb and, and LinkedIn are two places that I love being on. I, I, I tend to, I feel like, look a little exotic on both platforms to both audiences, whether I'm helping creatives with their business goals or, or, or business, you know, business-minded people with their creative goals. But it's nice to be exotic. That's, again, why I'm doing all this Muppet branding. It's like, do I look like the typical person who teaches sales? Maybe. <laughs> do I act like the person who teaches, typical person who teaches sales? No. Right. And therefore you're like, let me work that exotic. Let me work that. Let me work that punky Brewster energy. I love it. I, I love knowing that something about me is exotic and, and un, unparalleled or uncomplimentary or unlike anything yeah. in the industry. For me, for me, I don't love being compared to a lot of other people. So like when, when all of a sudden I felt like there were a lot of unscripted reality casting directors, all of a sudden I was like, cool, now I no longer have to do that. Yeah. Now I can show people how I did it. I can show the networks how I did it. I can show companies how I did it. And I built talent departments and casting teams for all different types of companies that that want to work with influencers and don't know how, that want to have have a team of talent that they can help leverage and build an infrastructure that turns them into stars. And how does that, how do they turn into the platform that does that? For me, it's all about 
community building. MTV took the audio stars and married it to the video stars. They built community by marrying two audiences. So everything MTV out of the gate did was music audience, video audience. And in my definition, like the mathematical, you know, you see, I like, I like mathematical equations. Yay! <laughs> but I love that idea of like bringing together the crossroads of two things. I mean, the whole reason this podcast even exists is because I'm a pop culture whore yeah. and I love business strategy and I love them with the same fervor. So why wouldn't I combine them? Yeah. And then I got to bring in my third love, which is people, right? Because I was like, even though I have a pretty vast pop culture knowledge, I don't like everything. <laughs> and I certainly don't know everything, nor do, is my ex is my expertise particularly broad beyond marketing, branding, selling that area up for super small businesses. And so I thought the show would be pretty fun for a while if it was just me talking about the stuff I love. But what if I can marry three audiences? What if I can marry three loves? My love of pop culture, my love of business strategy, and my love of other people's brains. Right. And so I, I love all of this rich stuff that you're talking about with sharing and, and partnering and relationships and, and even influencer culture, because now that we're talking about this, this never really occurred to me before. I feel like MTV invented the influencer. I think that we empowered youth culture to influence economies yeah. and business. I, I think that's part of the ethos and how what what made MTV so successful. Oh, I agree. man. So to anybody out there who is consistently putting out content and is just finding crickets, right? Yeah. They're trying to get their exposure. They're trying to get their discovery. They're trying to get like that next opportunity and, and they're willing to make it themselves. But wouldn't it be incredible if it came from somebody else? If they're putting out content that hasn't found its audience yet, what do they do? Cool. So it's really hard because it's such a personal question. Right. So I, I wouldn't want to blanket, you know, there's, I wish there was one solid answer. Right. Look, I think the solid answer is stop. Look at the patterns for better or for worse and lean into yes. them. Whatever is working or isn't working, prove it. If you think something isn't working, prove it. Prove that it doesn't work so you feel confident in the decision that you no longer have to try things that aren't working mm -hmm. because you don't get the results you're getting. And maybe that will clear your workload and workspace for the space that focuses on things that do have maybe marginal growth. Mm -hmm. And maybe if we look at that marginal growth and we stop and we dissect the patterns there, we'll see certain things work better than others. I don't want to get too like soft in an answer, but like that's, that's to me where it starts. Pattern recognition is critical. I think that was a perfect answer. Final answer. Locking in my Ooh, answer. Lock it in. <laughs> lock it in. Uh, speaking of final answers, I got two more questions for you before I promised I would let you get back to your beautiful day, but this has just been revelatory. And I feel like I need to write a fan letter to like every single person we've talked about today. Like dear Kurt, <laughs> dear Ananda, dear Dave, dear Carson, yeah. dear everyone, dear you, my God. But like dear Neve, dear Max, dear every guest host ever. Like let's just write a little love letter to MTV. But I think pattern recognition is extremely important. So I guess I have three more questions. Last okay. of the content questions is once you're out there, I think there's an idea of entrepreneurship to entertainment or avenues or anything like that, where it's like, well, I really am going to have to be sharkish or I'm really going to have to be narcissistic or I'm really going to have to be pushy 
to beat out all of the competition when it comes to getting discovered. Do you agree? Do what is what are the traits that that are required in order to have the tenacity to do this right? Well, I think that you know there are lots of different ways that people will achieve their success and mm-hmm. and if being bullish gets you the results that you appreciate and that you enjoy then being bullish is the approach that probably works best for you. Just be mindful that people right. will forever know you as the person who was being bullish to get those, you know, results. If being kind and considerate is the way that you can kill them with kindness, you know, and, and sweetness is the way that you find more, more opportunities, then I, I think you sort of lean into your strengths. Uh, let me answer this question. Like, what are, so for me, one of the things I wanted to do in this iteration of my career now, because I'd worked at networks and production companies before, is I didn't want to let someone pay me to do what I love doing. I didn't want people to pay me to discover talent, to develop talent, to come up with new ideas. I give out new ideas every single day. People are like, why? There's, you don't protect your, your ideas? No. They're words that were given to me probably from somebody else in my journey. Mm-hmm. I, I really truly don't believe that I have a, an idea. If I felt like it was an idea that I could execute, I would be, it would be different. But I feel like I have a lot of ideas based on, on the opportunities that I've seen on other people's platforms that I can connect people who I know have a voice and and can leverage that audience for 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 a greater good. So for me, I needed to make sure that whatever I sell, whether it's my one-on-one services or or something like that, that I wasn't gating what I love doing the most with some type of fee or something like that. So so that that to me meant I wanted to I so I created a membership mm-hmm. place that I call it my creator hub and I invite everybody in and it's a free resource. And the way I get paid from it is I actually get companies that ask me to do like uh they'll ask me to maybe host a, a live social audio event or maybe a podcast episode and I'll turn it into a masterclass and I'll have them sponsor the masterclass about that product and, and definition of like what that how that works. Mm-hmm. And I'll have them offset the cost of membership so that I can continue to let people in to my space for free. But if if brands want to pay me for me to bring new information out and all and all I'm doing is hosting it, I'm not I'm giving it my stamp of approval because I'm being extremely selective with the brands that I actually bring into the ecosystem because they are products that I need to be working with and using myself. So and I, I have a pretty specific brand, you know, my brand is very similar to a solopreneur or maybe someone who has a team of 15 or smaller or someone who's, who, who makes maybe less than 10 million a year. And, mm-hmm. but they've got product out there and services out there and momentum and clients. And we're just looking for a way to stand out. We talk about MTV and the VMAs. I love helping people win awards. Some of the ways entrepreneurs can win awards, you know, first off, you have your 40 under 40, 50 under mm-hmm. 50. You have your obvious places like that. But think about the lifestyle bucket too. There's a, there's a reason why, what's it called when uh, bachelor, like the oh, ba- yeah. you know, most eligible bachelor, you know, most eligible bachelors, you'll see these in like, there's a reason why those people win those awards. And by the way, you have to accept an award like that for your name to be put in print. So like some celebrities, you said this earlier about, about choosing how you want to be discovered. Some celebrities are given awards that they don't want and they say, no, thank you. We, I won't, unfortunately, I won't be able to re, you know, accept that award mm-hmm. just because they don't necessarily need to be aligned with everyone who wants to give them an award. It's, a little, it's unfortunate, but it's a bit of a marketing scam. Yeah. And that's where I think we have the power of choosing how and where we get discovered. And you nailed it when you said it's all about content. You know, I, we talked a lot about reality TV back in the day. That's how we did it back in the day. But now it's about having an Instagram account. It's about, it's about having something there when people find you. And, and then the part about 
when you asked about if, if we're putting out content and it's not being discovered, I would say, well, then maybe just look at where, where you're sharing that information. Mm -hmm. If it's not connecting maybe on Instagram, maybe on Instagram reels, maybe it's Instagram feed, maybe it's Twitter, you know, there's so many new platforms that we can be trying. So yeah, I mean, IMDB, holy cow. Yeah. You're going to love IMDB. Yeah. That's big. That's big. (sighs) All right. Now I really do have two more questions for you. So, all right. Looking into the beautiful future, you are about to receive a Lifetime Achievement Award from the VMAs. What music is bringing you up to stage and who is presenting your Lifetime Achievement Award? Oh, I, mean, I hope it, it better be Mandy more. Hi, Mandy. I would want it to be Mandy. I'd want it to be like Mandy and Kelly, Ashley Simpson, yep. um, Hillary Duff. <laughs> but what would come up? To be honest, probably candy. Just yes! to be really come on, stick it to Mandy. Sh- like it's sweet. gotta be Mandy. Totally. Yes. It's where it's where my MTV journey started. It's where her MTV journey started, and uh, and also my name's in the liners of the CD. So like, I think that's <laughs> old school cool. I mean, that <laughs> makes you the coolest person I know. Faux show. I want like this is the kind of thing where I want to go back in a time machine and be like. Find like one of the millions of times I was singing candy. I mean, like up to like yesterday and be like, P.S. You have a friend in the liner notes now. Everything works out. Okay. Everything works out. Okay. All right, Mandy. So clear your con, clear your calendar for VMAs. Let's say 20. How long do you want before this lifetime achievement? I think you're ready now, but I'm ready. I'm like five years away. I'll be ready. All right. All right. Cool. So 2027, Mandy, clear your calendar. You're going to be needed. And man actually was the first one to thank me when she won her movie award. She's the first person to ever thank me in like a, in a, in a, an award speech, which I thought was pretty neat. So, well, talk about someone that deserves every inch of her success. I love you, Mandy Moore. And I love to hear that you are just as lovely as we all assumed you are. All right, Vinny, but in the next five years before your lifetime achievement award at the VMAs, Mm -hmm. where and how can our listeners learn more from you. I know you mentioned your free resource. Give us those deets again, please. Oh yeah, sure. Yeah. If you're looking to win awards, if you want to know how to make money, by the way, if you have a podcast and you're not making money, if you have a social media account and you're not making money, I have a list of influencer marketing, influencer indexes that you should be on. I have a list of awards I want you to know about. Uh, VPE.tv is my website. And I also have like 500 other resources that I include in there from like everything that I use to be successful in my endeavors. Um, but for me, it starts with like a hello and a what's up. Um, I hang out on LinkedIn a lot. So if you're on LinkedIn, swing by, search for me and say hi. And we'll take it from there to be really blunt. Oh, I want everybody to reach out and say hi so that they can also get the phenomenal gift of your brain and possibly like a life-changing compliment in the process, like the one you gave me. Yeah, oh, I appreciate that. This has been so heartwarming and actionable and jaw-dropping all at once. You have made this elder millennial so freaking happy. Thank you for being here, being my guest today. And thank you also for your contributions to my childhood. Oh my gosh. Thank you for being there for me in the 90s and early 2000s and for picking up what I was putting down and for being here in this moment on this loop that we're in, this reciprocal loop that we're in right now where I get to make good on some of that content I made 20 years ago with someone who was in the room literally watching what I was watching at the same time. I think that's pretty cool. And Justin, we all know you cried. 
Okay. Vinny and I are going to take that later, but you cried your little eyes out, which doesn't surprise anyone that loves Brittany. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, y'all, I will be back in just a second with my final thought and your homework for the week. So go crank some Mandy more, but don't forget to come back. Well, hey there. Boy, this episode made me desperate for a time machine. Little 12-year-old Annie, 1996, would have lost her friggin' mind about the potential of being associated with MTV in any capacity. And that thing I said about having a friend in the liner notes of Mandy Moore's first album, yep. Totally would have found an AOL chat room to brag about that in until my fingers fell off. But back then, I also know I would have rejected the idea of me being in the spotlight. It's all well and good for my pals or Vinny or Mandy Moore to have celebrity pals. But me out there being myself, terrifying. And I was a child actor, y'all. It was as if I longed to be an overnight sensation and household name as long as I never had to open my mouth or be seen by anyone. In some ways, I'm still living in this dichotomy, putting out content like this show every single week, saying my spiel on as many other podcasts as will have me, applying for speaking gigs, the whole nine yards, but all the while saying, it would be great if you picked me, but please continue to ignore me if not. No more. Today, our homework is to apply for an award. See Vinny's guide at vpe.tv if you need some inspiration. But get out there and submit yourself or your team for something. I have less than a year and a half to get onto a 40 under 40, so that's going to be the first place I look. The critical part here is not to let imposter syndrome write your application. Sparkle unashamedly. Brag about yourself, even just to practice. You have accomplished amazing things. What if, just this once, you let yourself fully own them? Maybe you'll win. Maybe you won't. But either way, you'll be putting yourself out there to be discovered, throwing up a beacon that declares, I'm here I'm fabulous, and I solve problems beautifully. What could we accomplish together? Hey, thanks for listening. If this episode kept you laughing and learning, I have two requests for you. First, make sure you hit that subscribe or follow button, depending on your platform, so you never miss an episode. And also, more importantly, if you are looking for support, inspiration, networking, collaborations, or just a chance to hang out with me, Annie P. Ruggles, and our fantastic guests, make sure that you are a member of our LinkedIn community, The Legitimati. It is a weird and wonderful place. I can't even believe it's on LinkedIn, and we want you there. You'll find the link in the show notes. Big shout out, as always, to the fabulous dudes who helped me make this show. My producer and editor, Andrew Sims of Hypable Impact. My theme composer, Riley Horbasio, And my show art creator, Francois Vigno. See you next time. <laughs>